Do you think that classical music is not for you and you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're a fan already and would welcome a fresh approach. You've come to the right place. Perfect pitch is for everyone, beginners or experts, whatever your age. Lend Nick Healy Hutchinson your ears for his weekly dose of classical music that will enrich your life. There are certain composers, Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, obviously, whose reputations are so firmly established in the classical music repertoire that there will never be any question of them going out of fashion. But it's not true of all of them by any means. Gustav Mahler, for example, did not really come into prominence until the middle of the last century, and it was something of a surprise to hear none other than the recently deceased Bernard Heitink casually let slip in a television programme that he thought Mahler might even be played a little too often these days. Composers, just like artists, move in and out of fashion. Here's a good case in point, and one that proves how much there is out there to discover. Have you, I wonder, heard of the Austrian composer Emil Nikolaus von Rechnicek? You have? Okay, smart-ass, but if you haven't, you certainly would have if you'd lived in Vienna in the late 1800s. His popularity was sealed in 1894 with his three-act comedy opera Donna Diana, a work you'd struggle to find being performed nowadays. So despite leaving an extensive catalogue across lots of disciplines, symphonies, chamber music, choral music, opera, piano and so on, the only piece you're ever likely to hear being performed is the overture to that successful opera Donna Diana. It's a bit of a mystery, really. Resnicek was wrongly assumed to have Nazi sympathisers. It didn't help that his son joined the party and his daughter, Felicitas, did form a close liaison with one of Hitler's adjutants. But it wasn't actually what it seemed on the outside. In fact, their pillow talk was helpful to the British cause and rewarded by Churchill in granting her British citizenship. So it's hard to know why music like this has fallen from grace. It certainly can't just be down to a controversial reputation. Wagner would have been written out of history books long ago if that were the sole criterion. Whatever the reason, the solution is a very simple one. In the same way programme compilers may need to play lesser one composer, it would be nice to see them being a little more adventurous in playing music of those who have been neglected. There are, after all, plenty of composers known for just one piece alone, so why not dig out some overlooked and forgotten ones, such as Resnicek? The overture has a delightful tune at its heart, and for those of you who can remember the work of Hector Berlioz, I can definitely pick up some likenesses here in the sweeping strings and brass punctuation. Actually, I'd say it's every bit as good. Resnicek's overture to Donna Diana is played here by the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields, conducted by Neville Mariner.
In 1789, two years before he died, Mozart wrote one of the earliest, actually probably the first, clarinet quintet. In exactly the same way Schubert's Trout Quintet has the formal title of piano quintet, a quintet is merely a piece for a quartet, that's four string instruments, and a different one. In Schubert's case a piano, and in Mozart's case now, a clarinet. The piece has four movements. We're going to listen to the last movement now, played by the Hagen String Quartet, joined by the clarinetist Sabine Meyer. I just love this, a sprightly, infectious tune with five variations, and just as you think it's coming to a peaceful end, Mozart launches into a thrilling coda to bring it to its conclusion. Coda, by the way, is Italian for tale, which is why it's a musical term often applied to the closing bars of a piece.
And while on the subject of quartets and quintets of unbridled joy, it would be hard to surpass the exuberance of Dvorak's string quartet, the so-called American, written while he was staying in a Czech-inhabited town in Iowa in the late 1890s. Whether it is his native Czech in character or American has been a matter of lengthy debate over the years, with scholars desperately seeking for references of African-American songs. All we do know for certain is Dvorak's own view, which is that he could not have written it or the New World Symphony if he'd not been in America. I've spoken before of his speedy writing and he knocked this one up in a matter of a couple of weeks. This is a quartet to really lift the spirits. There's no sophisticated development or dialogue between the instruments. It's straightforward fun, pure and simple, and should be listened to and enjoyed in that vein. There's the briefest of reflective passages at its heart, but the overriding mood is one of immediacy and joy. And in that respect, it's a perfect example of the accessibility of classical music and how sometimes you really don't have to delve beneath the surface for protracted explanations. You can just appreciate it for its innate quality alone. The fourth movement of Dvorak's American String Quartet, number 12, is played here by the Cleveland Quartet.
I've been looking for an opportunity to play this next work, and after the playful music we listen to today, this seems as good a time as any. It's a piece by the little-known Spanish composer Geronimo Jimenez, who spent most of his life between 1854 and 1923 in Madrid. Jimenez's stage work La Boda de Luis Alonso was his most famous piece, and this intermedio, one of the highlights. Lucero Tena, shows astonishing versatility on the castanets in a live performance. The clarity is quite amazing, but so too is her ability to introduce real colour with the most banal of percussion instruments. She even manages to slip in a perfectly executed crescendo in the closing seconds. As I mentioned the meaning of the word coda earlier on, I hope you'll forgive me for being a bit of a pedant and taking this opportunity to put right an often misunderstood meaning of the word crescendo. You'll hear people talk of a piece reaching a crescendo. It doesn't do anything of the sort. A crescendo is the gradual increasing loudness of sound, so its culmination is not a crescendo, but the end of it. And with that mini gripe over, I will stand aside.
it for now thank you for listening to perfect pitch with nick healy hutchinson he'll be back again next week with some more treasures for you so please do join him then and you can subscribe to this podcast by clicking on the link below